The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. My, oh my, do we have a lot to get to on this edition of Clubhouse Conversation. What's up? Long time no talk. It's Davo. And once again, I apologize for being gone the last five or six days, but followed the team up to Chicago. Was there for that series. Was able to be front and center right there when the Royals clinched on Friday night. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the amazing wild card win last night against the Oakland Athletics. Insanity ensued at Kauffman Stadium. And we're going to hardcore break down the Angels in game one between Jason Vargas and Jared Weaver tomorrow night in Los Angeles or Anaheim or Orange County or wherever the hell they play at. Who knows? Who really knows? Fullerton. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to all that in this edition of Clubhouse Conversation. Thank you for listening. Let's start, though, by going back in time to Chicago. And on this edition... For the majority of it, I'll, I'll break down with stats and get a lot more into the Angels series here in a few minutes. But for the majority of the whole White Sox and athletics recap, I'm going to talk more about the moments, talk more about the feeling, talk more about the fans, talk more about just the whole spirit of this club, more so than break anything down. Because you all saw it. You all know what happened. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the shenanigans that went on, especially yesterday with Ned Yost making a mind-blowingly bad decision. But we'll start with Chicago. Went up there first thing Friday morning expecting to fly, and of course then the whack job that lit the basement on fire of the traffic control tower there just outside of Chicago in Aurora, Illinois, you know, curtailed those plans, had to get in the car, drove up there, made it with plenty of time to spare, was able to see the Royals clinch on Friday night. Just some generic thoughts about Chicago real quick. Number one, the ballpark, a bit nicer than I remembered it being. I've been to 10 Major League Parks, and I had called Chicago my least favorite, at least the White Sox, USA Sailor Field of those 10, that park in particular. A little better than I remembered it. Maybe I was a little bit harsh. It had been 2003 since I was there. I've seen probably 10 games in that ballpark. A little better this time around than I remembered it in the past. The White Sox fans were mostly accommodating, mostly very friendly, pulling for the Royals, as is most of the country. There's a couple guys that weren't particularly nice but for the most part it was a good experience i will say one thing the food there is much better than kaufman stadium i think kaufman needs an overhaul with some of their concessions they need a little bit more variety best item in all of major league baseball u.s sailor field is a loaded baked potato for 750 freaking delicious it's huge and you get bacon if you want it on there or chicken and then you get butter you get cheese sour cream broccoli uh, what am I forgetting? There's about two other uh, sour cream. Did I say that already? A lot of good stuff on there. So concession-wise, I like the it better there. But outside of that, I mean, the Oregon music is kind of nice before the game, the old-school feel that Chicago and the South Side is known for. Train wreck when it comes to the scoreboards there and stats. And you, you have to look like nine different places. Half the info you want's not there. You can't see in-game you know, current pitcher stats. You can't see for the year stats. Half the time they don't have the current batter's photo up there. There's like six things going at once. It's, it's a train wreck. Concourses, not particularly good. Bathrooms, may as well be outhouses. Like two stalls per bathroom and nine urinals, and they're old, and there's no never soap in the dispensers. I don't know why I'm critiquing <laughs> U.S. Cellular Field so much, but that's the first thing that stuck out was that the park was a little bit better, but it's still, to me, a C-minus, D-plus park. I'm still going to put it at the bottom of my list. It was an enjoyable trip, though. It's nice riding the L and then the red line out there to U.S. Cellular Field. Just come and go with the crowd. Don't hang around that part of town very much. Other than that, you know, being there, being down there with the team, being involved with that was just special. The guys were so happy. They were on cloud nine. 
and we'll get more about this when we get to Oakland here in about one minute, but I really believe this team feeds off the crowd more so than any other team in professional baseball, at least right now. I mean, this team is a byproduct of its town, of its energy. We've talked about that before here on Clubhouse Conversation, how when things are bad and the self-fulfilling prophecy, it kind of feeds to the team. When things are good, they get excited, like they're giddy like fans and just ready to explode, and they have these frenzy-hitting innings, and then things get bad and nothing goes right. They can't hit water if they fall out of a boat some night. It's the same thing as we face as diehard Royals fans, isn't it? There's days where we're on cloud nine, and when things get going well, the train gets started, it just keeps going. But then when things go bad, you go into a panic, and I just feel like the, the Royals really feed off of their crowd. I mean, I really believe that. So anyway, it was good to be there and celebrate with the Royals on Friday night. They were very thankful for everybody that made the trip. One other note about Chicago before we moved to Oakland was I thought it was Bush League the way. Uh, first of all, great ceremony for Paul Canerco on Saturday, the Danny Duffy start. Class act by Canerco. Deserved every ounce of what he got. But, I mean, the White Sox continually pushed the game back. They told the Royals 645. The game ended up starting at 705. I saw Danny Duffy get up and stop two different times warming up. I saw him come back in from the bullpen at 640. Didn't throw a pitch till approximately 715. Came out flat the first inning. And then the game got away in a hurry. And that game could have obviously gotten the Royals a chance at the one-game playoff. Doesn't end up mattering in the end, but I thought that was a little bit BS that the White Sox. I mean, it was obvious. Kaneko only talked for five minutes. So even you can't use the excuse that you thought he talked too long, and that's why the game started late. I mean, what did you expect him to talk for a minute? Either way, they're still going to be 15 minutes late. Obviously, the White Sox had 30 minutes of videos and Jerry Reinsdorf and whatever. They knew that the tribute was going to be a lot longer than that. So... To me, that's BS, and I know the Royals behind closed doors weren't very happy about that. But that's it. They're moving on from Chicago. So it ended up being fine. We all wanted the division. But essentially, now the Royals won the division, in my mind. I mean, I wanted them to make it to the ALDS. I wanted that one-game wild card out of the way. because That's a heartbreaking loss. And let's get to last night. The Royals were able to advance. And to me, playing Baltimore or playing the Angels, to me, it doesn't really matter. I know the Angels have the best record in baseball. But to me, either way, you're facing a really good team and you're going to be on the road for three of the five games, in theory. And the Angels just don't scare me. Nothing about the Angels scares me. But let's talk about Oakland real quick. Last night at Kauffman Stadium, boy, oh boy, I, I was lucky enough to be six rows behind home plate. What an atmosphere last night. So much to talk about. Let's just go through some random things from last night. James Shields comes out and as he often does when he struggles or gives up more than a couple runs, the majority of them come in the first inning, as most of the good ones are. You get them earlier, you don't get them. As it turned out, the A's would eventually get him again later in the game in that sixth inning with the help of Ned Yost inserting your Donovan Ventura. And let's get right to that fact, because early in the game, the Royals battle. They got they you know they come back in the bottom of the first, get that one run against John Lester, who's the third best you know postseason pitcher in Major League history, third best. And we all know that he completely owns the Royals. David Glass does not own the Royals. John Lester does. He's done it for years and years and years from the no hitter and on. And so you get down two nothing right away. But I never thought the game was over last night. I didn't. They got down two nothing. It didn't really phase me. I just thought, okay, well. You know, Shields can shut them down now. We've seen him do this before, and I think the Royals are going to score some runs tonight. They come right back, get one there in the bottom of the first, which was big to see the Royals do that, although the whole Billy Butler debacle is another topic. I don't believe that was on Ned Yost. I believe there was a delayed steal, as Ned kind of talked about later in the game, and that Butler left too early. It was bad execution. Hosmer got nailed at the plate. The count was 0-2, going to be 1-2 on Gordon. So it wasn't the worst time to try that, and I know that, 
it was successful by the Angels against Oakland about a week and a half earlier. So I understand where the Royals were coming from. Didn't love that call there. But again, I'm not going to blame Ned. And I'm not really going to blame Billy. It was kind of just bad luck and kind of a bad situation no matter what. So whatever. That didn't bug me too much. But it, then you go back after that. The game stays 2-1 to one until the bottom of the third when KC gets things going in that bottom of the third inning. And that was exciting. That, that's when I really got into it. Mike Moustakis, we've been talking about it here, how the approach has been better this year. The numbers haven't. The on-base has gone down consistently since he came to the big leagues, but he's starting to take the ball to left field, which is only going to help him. If he can hit line drives to left field, which he did three times last night, he leads off that bottom of the third, smokes a line drive to left, and then Escobar, the sack bunt. And again, I wasn't crazy about all the sack bunting, especially getting a guy to second. I'm fine betting a guy to third against Lester, but giving away an out and still needing a hit just doesn't seem like the best idea in the world, especially with as hot as Escobar's been. But got the bunt down there, Nori grounds out, and then Kane doubles, Hosmer singles. And the Royals have a lead. You know, they're sitting up there three to two, and that was a score until the top of the six when the controversy ensued at Kauffman Stadium. Sam Fold singles. I'm really a broken bat slash crack bat to left field. Donaldson walks on a close pitch that could have been called strike three. Very inconsistent strikes going throughout the night. And that was it. Ned came out and got James Shields at that point, which I thought was a little bit too early for Shields. I mean, James Shields at that point in the ball game and for the ball game, I mean, he only threw for the night 88 pitches. 88 pitches out of James Shields. To me, that was not the right move right there. But even if you're going to take him out, you don't go to Ventura. Before this happened, this is not a 2020 decision. Let's flash back to Chicago. There on Sunday when Ventura gave up four runs through nearly 80 pitches. Two days earlier, only one full day rest for Ventura. With all those lefties coming up for Oakland, including Babe Ruth, er, Brandon Moss, and Yost goes to Ventura, the guy who's only pitched out of relief one time this year, right before the All-Star break, the guy who's still young, who's worn down, pitching on one-day rest, wasn't even effective on Sunday against all those lefties. Predictably, he gets behind 2-0. It starts up the fastball. Bam. Three-run shot. Floodgates ensue. Yost then sticks with Ventura even longer. Eventually goes to Herrera. We find out later that he didn't want to pitch Herrera more than one inning, which we've heard before. We went through this against Detroit in that Saturday game, the second game there here in Kansas City. And Yost had adjusted from that. But then he ends up throwing Calvin Herrera nearly 40 pitches anyway. <laughs> he sticks with him too long. I don't know. Uh, to me, there's something wrong with Danny Duffy. He didn't throw well his last two starts. We just we noted the Saturday game in Chicago. And the fact that he's not starting any of the first three games in L.A. when he's been your second most consistent, if not your most consistent, but definitely, you know, it's obviously him, Shields, and, and Ventura. But you could make an argument that for the majority of the year, Duffy was better. You could make that argument. There's different things like innings and consistency and, and staying dura, you know, durable that Shields has a leg up on Duffy on. But you could definitely argue that Danny Duffy has been better. So the fact that he's not starting any of these first three games and the fact that he didn't come out of that game at all, Against Oakland, something's wrong with him, obviously. So I'm not going to get on Ned too much about not using him in that situation in the sixth inning, but Finnegan would have been an okay selection with all the lefties coming up. Ended up working out with him coming in later, but if not, why not Herrera or Davis in that situation? It's do or die in the sixth inning there. Or why not just stay with Shields, the guy that you, oh, I don't know, gave up your cornerstone young hitter for to get in his last year with the team? You got him for these kind of games. He wasn't even to 90 pitches yet. He was on full rest. 
it was a broken bat single and, and a barely missing ball four that could have been a strike, and you pull him that quick. Just seemed like a, a quick hook by Ned. I think that was the wrong move no matter what, but definitely it was to bring in Ventura in that situation. You've got to go to Herrera, Davis, Finnegan, or Duffy in that situation. Duffy's not available, obviously. Something's up with him. I don't know what it is. So anyway, th- th- I was furious in that inning. Five runs come in for Oakland. They take the big lead at that point, 7-3, and that's the same thing that it is until the eighth when you know what happens. The Royals put a three spot up, a spot in the ninth. I mean, the game's just a roller coaster. I'm exhausted. I didn't leave my seat to go to the bathroom the whole night. Didn't go to get a beer. I couldn't leave. I was spent. But what a night. The Royals eventually, I mean, I'm not going to tell you, they get behind in the 12th inning and get that amazing bottom of the 12th. Now let's give Ned some credit. Seven stolen bases by seven Royals, setting the league record there. Four stolen bases in one inning. Ned gets some credit. I don't know how many of those he actually called. I'm guessing four or five of the seven. But give him some credit there. Give him credit for going to Finnegan finally, leaving him in and taking him out at the perfect time. I thought Ned handled him well. I'll give Ned some credit. But to me, it's unjust. I mean, it's it's you can't excuse the horrible decision in the sixth inning. And we'll move on from it. I'm not trying to be negative here, but you can't just overlook these things. You can't just throw them you know, out of sight, out of mind. I mean, this is very bothersome. We have the same Herrera problem and the same willing unwillingness to use his big three before the seventh inning. Recently, we had that conversation, and then he changed and started going to using Herrera and Davis earlier and for more than one inning. Davis last night threw eight pitches and was taken out, but Herrera threw almost 40. Just so many inconsistencies. The Royals get the win, though. What a night. Let me get a drink here. What a night at Kauffman Stadium. Fans... What, 85%, 80% as loud as Arrowhead without the enclosed stadium and with half the people there? The blue towels, I hope you can be there if you weren't there. Even if you were there, I hope you're going to be there on Sunday or Monday. You've got to get out there and experience a playoff game at Kauffman Stadium. There'll probably never be in our lifetimes a game like that one. But, wow. Royals, to me, now it's been a successful season no matter what. I'll say that right now as we preview, and I'm here in about 30 seconds. No matter what now, to me, the Royals, the goal is to win the division. But it's kind of the same thing. They're in the ALDS now, as is Detroit. And while you can say, yeah, Davo, but Baltimore is more ripe for the plucking. They didn't have as good of a record. Okay, you can say that. I understand that. L.A. had the best record. But L.A., to me, maybe they've lost their edge a little bit, the Angels. Haven't really played a meaningful game in nearly two weeks. A little, you know, a little layover. Maybe a little Southern California crowd not near as in as Kauffman Stadium. Maybe a little complacency. Maybe a little confidence. And I acknowledge that the Angels haven't been to the playoffs since 2009, which, which I had to do a double take on. It didn't seem like it had been that long. But 2009, the last time that the Angels were in it. But let's talk about tomorrow night's game. Jason Vargas and Jared Weaver. Before we get to that particular matchup, because I've got some thoughts on that matchup. The Royals finished 3-3 three and three against the Angels. The home team won 2-3 of three in both situations. Of course, the Royals have to get one of these two in L.A. Now, the, the, it's been since 09 since the Angels were in it, but combined postseason experience, 253 games for the Angels compared to 110 for KC, and 17 of those 110 came last night. So you take out last night, you just go back two days, the Angels have 253 games of combined experience in the postseason. Royals have 93. And 44 of those 93 came from Raul Abanez, who 
in all likelihood won't get more than an at-bat in this series, although maybe he should be getting an at-bat tomorrow. We'll talk about that here in a second. Omar Infante had 31 games, 44 for Abanez. Meanwhile, L.A. You have 74 games out of Pujols, 48 from Freeze, of course, the St. Louis connection accounting for that. But I don't know. I mean, best team in, in baseball. Each team's won two or three at home. They split the season series. I like where the Royals are at right now. They're hungry. They're hot. Going 5-2 and two on that ro- last road trip. You know, from the, from the time they won that Sunday game against Detroit, what are they, 7-2 and two their last nine? They won that last game against Detroit, go 5-2 and two on the road trip, and win last night against Oakland. The Royals are a hot baseball team right now. 7-3 and three if you want to go your last 10. But tell me they don't have all the confidence in the world. They, they feel great about themselves. Because it, it is almost like they're playing with house money. I expect them to be more loose now especially in these first two road games. And even at home, I think they have been tight this year, and I did say that they feed out the energy of the home crowd, so that's a slight contradiction that they've played tight in front of large crowds at home this year. But to me, the monkey's out the back now, no pun intended, going to Anaheim. Because you're already a good road team. The Royals, the fourth-best road team in the league in all of baseball. I mean, the Royals are great on the road, so they're confident there. They're coming off the momentum. I mean, they're essentially playing with house money now. No, nobody thought they were going to come back and win that game, and it was seven to three. They do it. They're just—they're hot. They're in a groove. They're not rusty, and they're in their element now. It's almost like they're the hunt hunters again. When they've been the hunted this year is when they've struggled. When they were in first place, when they played Detroit, when they, when they had a lead in Detroit, they melted down. No doubt. The Cleveland games—they melted down. But now they're kind of in the underdog role again. And they've kind of gotten the monkey out their back at home. So I just feel like now they're they're feeling like, okay, no one expects us to win. We're just going to have fun. We're going to beat these guys. I, I love where the Royals are at right now. So to me, I would rather face the Angels than Baltimore right now. Although Baltimore also is, is clinched just as long ago as L.A. So some of that to me, some of that's just kind of BS. Maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid because essentially both teams are in the same boat. Both haven't played a meaningful game in the same amount of time. Both clinched way early. I understand it. I just like where the Royals are on this series. Now, the matchup tomorrow night. A little curious about Jason Vargas starting with how much he struggled recently. And he really has not been that great against the Angels, who know him well. He'll go against his old Long Beach State teammate, Jared Weaver. To me, Jeremy Guthrie would have been maybe my choice in game one, but I'm not going to argue. I mean, the Royals know more than I do, obviously. The Royals obviously see Jason Vargas as more of their top of the rotation guy. The Royals see Jason Vargas, and, he, and he's performed like that the majority of the year. And the Royals also invested a lot more in Jason Vargas, three more years after this year, whereas Guthrie has one year plus a team option. But if you look at the numbers, let's go numbers now. Let's look at the Angels lineup against Vargas. Eric Ibar, and I, we don't know the exact lineup, but let's just go through some of the main guys here. Eric Ibar is 11 for 41, whatever, 268. That's decent. Gordon Beckham owns Jason Vargas, hitting 400 in 15 at-bats. Brennan Bosch, 8 for 15, hitting 533 against Vargas. CJ Crone, 2 for 3 earlier this year with two home runs off of Vargas. David Freeze hitting 500 off Vargas, 4 for 8. Josh Hamilton just six for 27, but does have three jacks. 
Howie Kendrick hitting 268. That's not bad. Love for 41. Pujols, 286 and one home run, who, which is six, 6 for 21. And Mike Trout hitting a crisp 400 with a jack at 6 for 15 against Vargas. That's right, you're drinking so much water. God, my throat's messed up from last night. That's <clears> what <throat> so she said. Anyway, so you go through that lineup right there. <clears throat> Pretty good success against Vargas. Who does he own in this lineup? Freeze is hitting 500, 400 for Beckham, 533 for Bosch, Crone 666 with two jacks, Pujols a home run, 286, Trout a home run, 400. Now, Jeremy Guthrie, meanwhile, Ibar just six for 31 against him. That's under 200, where he was 268 against Vargas. Beckham just eight for 39, just over 200. Beckham's 400 against Vargas. Bosch 0 for 11 against Guthrie. Bosch is eight for 15 against Vargas. Freeze, one for nine against Guthrie, but four for eight off of Vargas. Hamilton has owned Guthrie, 10 for 31 with four jacks. So uh, Hamilton's the exclusion. But, uh, you know, Hendrick, seven for 30. Hendrick. Kendrick, seven for 30, which is below 250. He was 268 against Vargas. Pujols at 286 against Vargas, but just 210 against Guthrie. And Trout hitting 310 against Guthrie or 400 against Vargas. There's only one guy out of all those guys I read who's better against Guthrie than Vargas, and that's Josh Hamilton. But Hamilton also has three jacks off of Vargas. So the numbers tell you Jeremy Guthrie has had much more success lifetime and has more sample size against the majority of these hitters than Vargas does. And Guthrie's been better recently. Three of his last four starts has been absolute nails, whereas Vargas is the exact opposite. So I'm a little bit curious about naming Jason Vargas your Game 1 starter, especially since that almost kind of infers he'd be your Game 5 starter. Right? Because if you go Ventura Game 2, Shields Game 3, possibly Duffy Game 4 uh, is what I hear, but uh, to me, Duffy's not going to start. Are you going back to Vargas Game 4 or 5? Curious to me. I would have gone Guthrie in this game, but... You know what? Touche, because Jason Vargas for the season, if you look at a bigger sample size and look at the overall big picture, has been better this year than Guthrie has, no doubt. And I understand they have more invested in him and they see him as more of an anchor of a rotation than, than Guthrie. But all those right-handed bats with all that success against Vargas, now some of that is small sample size. So while I say we have a more established sample with Guthrie, which is true, we also have a less sample size with Vargas. That's noted. Just my thoughts, though, there. Now, looking at the Royals against Weaver, there's not too much sample size at all here, and really not much good news, to be honest with you. Nobody in the Royals on their limited sample size has done anything except for Abanez. Raul Abanez is 417 against Weaver. He has owned him 15 for 36 lifetime with four jacks. Abanez has taken Weaver yard four times in 36 at-bats. With that said, majority of that's obviously not in the last two years, so... I don't want to say you throw it out the window because that's a, a substantial sample size. But you can't start a Banyas tomorrow. I mean, you got to go with the same lineup, and I'm 99% sure Ned will, as he should. But you at least got to think about pinch hitting with the Banyas. If Weaver's, let's say it's a 1 nothing 2 1 game, or Casey's down by a couple, or it's tied, and you get to that seventh inning and Weaver's still in there. You go to a Banyas to at least force the hand. Maybe get Weaver out of the game. They go to a lefty, then you go with Willingham. Or you let him hit against. Weaver. Abanez is your first bat off the bench on this one. Who would he pinch hit for? That's another question, though. You're not going to pinch hit Moose. 
because it's a righty versus a lefty. Escobar's been hitting. There's not really anybody in the lineup you can pinch hit for as a problem with this Royals lineup. Think about it, because the only time you pinch hit with this team is if it's a tough lefty against Moose, isn't it? Who else are you going to pinch hit for in this lineup? Aoki has reverse splits. He's better against lefties. And he can obviously hit righties fine. Escobar is a solid hitter now. A, a, you know, To me, the most unsung hero, him and Herrera, on this team. Butler, you're not pinch hitting for at this point. Gordon, you're not pinch hitting for. You go on and on with this team. Perez, no. I mean, so I don't know how Raul gets in the game tomorrow, to be frank. But something to note that he has owned Weaver. On, I guess, I don't know. Somehow it goes to the ninth inning and we've pinch ran and you know, Gore ran for Butler, and then Gore spot comes up. Who knows? I mean, I guess it's possible I will get to an A-B tomorrow. But outside of him, no one has done much. Aoki, one for three, whatever. No sample size there. It's one for three, the single. Butler, six for 29 with one home run. Not that impressive. 210 with one jack and 30 at-bats. Not doing much for me. Kano for four against Weaver. Escobar, two for eight. Gordon, four for 20 with one home run. Lana Ofers, Salfi, 0 for two. Infante, 0 for three. Hosmer, 0 for four. Willingham, three for 14, although he does have two home runs and 14 at-bats. And Moose, one for six. I mean, they're very much going there, guys. And again, a lot of small sample sizes. Three at-bats for Aoki, four for Kane, eight for Escobar, four for Haas, three for Infante, two for Salvi. So with all that said, I mean, we're just, we're bored. We're not, we're not bored. We're excited. we got plenty of time to talk baseball right now. So, I mean, we're getting deep into stats, and sample size is really a bitch. I mean, you, you you can tell some, but you can't. Because how do you I mean, how do you quantify it? A bond is you go by sample size, you got to play them. But then again, you got to go by common sense and go by overall stats, the big picture stats, where it, the, most of those stats were accumulated years ago. Or at least long enough ago where a Banya's bat speed was still there. He did take Holland yard earlier this year, so I guess the bat speed's still decent for Raul. Also had a one nothing home run that won a game at Oakland. Don't forget that. Point being, though, what do you, what does this all mean? I have no freaking idea. I mean, to me, at this point, you play your, your lineup has gotten you there. And I guess I guess if you if you go by that, you also got to say you pitch Vargas because he's helped get you there more than Guthrie has. He's had a better year. But if you go by recent, Jeremy Guthrie has been better. And if you go by the numbers historically, Jeremy Guthrie has been better. My prediction for game one, Angels W. Hope I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong. I see this game being kind of a five to three type of game, six to four, six to three. I think the Royals get a couple runs off a of Weaver, get him out after seven, maybe tack on one against the bullpen. But but Vargas is not. I mean, it depends how quick they get Vargas out. Because to me, you've got to save Finnegan for the next day with Ventura going. Ventura is not going to be able to go ninety pitches after throwing Sunday and Tuesday, and then on Friday. So, to me, Finnegan's you're piggybacking with Ventura. So, tomorrow, Vargas has got to give you some innings. I don't know. I, I guess you go, to, you go to Duffy or Guthrie first if he's struggling early. I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I just I don't love the way Vargas has been going. So, the smart money is probably on the Angels tomorrow night. But, I don't know. The Royals have got to get one game of these two. So, if they get the first one, God, I'd love to be wrong. I would love to be wrong. Let's go, Royals. I, I do like where the Royals are at. I do think they have a pretty good chance. If you look at the series overall, I do think we have about a 45% chance of advancing. I don't think it's a long shot at all. I think it's almost even money. 
So the Royals, to me, have a pretty good shot. Just get one there in L.A., and you have a chance to come home and advance to the ALCS. And how exciting would that be? We'll talk to you again tomorrow night after game one of the ALDS here on Clubhouse Conversation. Go Royals!